Don't you know podcast in East of Mississippi is bootlegging? It's Smokey and the Bandit today on Cinema Oblivia. Welcome to Cinema Oblivia, your podcast for discussions on out of style, out of out of fashion, forgotten, thrown away, and otherwise unremembered or occasionally unremarkable films. I'm your host, James Eldred. And who's joining me today? I out of the West Coast here in Portland, Oregon area, Elliot Long. Yo, Elliot, thanks for coming to talk about Smokey and the Bandit. But before we talk about that, why don't you tell people who you are? I am a musician. I'm a podcaster. I call myself a music historian. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have any kind of degree in that. But, you know, ah. I got the. I went to the school of rock and roll for that oh, yeah. degree, you know. Yeah. You are the composer of the theme song to this podcast? Yeah, I, I composed um, that little kind of synthy ditty there at the beginning you probably have heard by now so yes. uh yeah so as of right now you are the only person who has made money on this podcast so congratulations hey I there pay, we go I paid, I paid you for that so go yeah me. thank yeah. you no problem I, I i like to pay for work you know i think especially music because that's not easy it spreads good karma for sure that's yeah. kind of we need a lot more of that in the creative world these days i'm 41 years old i am done either doing work or giving work quote for exposure it's just not gonna happen anymore so <laughs> yeah well i have a full-time job so like you know i definitely don't need exposure nor do i care for exposure that much yeah. really you know don't expose yourself it's not you know, that's, a, <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a different issue but anyway yes today we are talking about Smokey and the bandit the 1977 super mega huge blockbuster that is one of the biggest films of the late 70s, helped propel several pieces of culture to the mainstream, but in 2021 is rarely talked about aside from maybe being a punchline occasionally, which is entirely unjustified because this movie kicks ass, right? Yes, no, this movie is hilarious. It's it's yes. when they say in trailers, nonstop laughter, mm -hmm. this is one of the few movies that does deliver on that. Yeah, and you wanted to talk about this one specifically. So why did, uh, like I said, like everybody, I send that giant list of movies, and you picked this one. Why did you pick this one? I, you know, I I grew up in kind of rural Oregon, and mm -hmm. my family is, you know, my dad, his family originates from Tennessee, and this kind of rural culture just is like, this is the kind of this is the mo the movie for my my family like this is what my grandpa would have loved like this is the this this movie is actually i feel a good representation of rural culture unfortunately it gets a bad rap politically and yeah. you know some of them yeah. are pretty bad but this is <laughs> this a lot of this movie to me is like the humor and and the the style, the clothes, the music is like to me are some of the more positive aspects 
of an often frowned upon culture. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes rightfully frowned upon, you know. Yeah, uh, no, they, you know, yeah. <laughs> yes, you know, sometimes the culture associated with this movie gets a justifiable bad rap. But I think looking at it on its own, I think this movie could have done a lot of things really bad involving Southern culture, good old boy culture, and all that stuff. And I think it dodges almost all of those bullets. Yeah, I specifically put a bullet in my my personal notes that says problematic things. Yeah, and well, we can totally are. get that. Yeah, I mean, it's a movie from 1977. It's going to have yeah. problematic things. It does also have a few surprisingly progressive things for a movie made like this. So yeah. you got to take the good and the bad. I think the good far as outweigh the bad. This holds up really well. It's also interesting. I watched just yesterday, two days ago, I watched In the Heat of the Night. Have you seen In the Heat of the Night? I, I have not, no. Do you know what that is? No, I do not. That's a 1967 movie, or 68, around that time, with um, Sidney Poitier and Rod Steiger. And that's about a murder in the South, and it's very much about racism in the South. Very much. It's a fantastic movie, and it is, if Buford T. Justice was a real person, he'd be in that movie, and he would not <laughs> be the lovable rapscallion asshole cop he would be the racist cop who drops the n-word like a sneeze you know so yeah i think definitely the characters in this film are cartoonish and watered down from what they would be in real life but, oh absolutely yeah. but the movie is interesting you know and uh even before we get into who made it and who worked on it i think we should should talk a little bit about how this movie even happened because it is very much a perfect storm of cultural events that allows a movie about truck drivers bootlegging Coors beer <laughs> to be made into a theatrical film that was not only very good, but like I said, a huge hit. So I think the first thing we should talk about is maybe CB radios, you know, how they play into 70s culture, right? I mean, because... That was a big fad in the mid seventies. Yeah, it's such a weird thing, and, and yeah, actually, I, I, this is really showing how much of a redneck I grew up as. But in my late teens and early twenties, I, I had a CB radio in my nineteen ninety two Toyota Corolla. <laughs> I had the Uniden PCI Bearcat or something like that. Wow! And uh, I had a four foot fiberglass antenna coming out of oh the trunk of my God. Corolla. Uh, and I used to sit in like, I, I used to be a heavy smoker and I would sit outside in my car and I just like either talk to people or just listen to conversations and group chat, group chats or whatever, uh, with these people that still are very much CB enthusiasts, man. Um, it's, it's just such a weird thing, but yeah, I yeah. would just sit there and smoke cigarettes and talk to people for hours. I guess that still happens a little bit, especially with truckers, but I think mainstream CB radio culture kind of died out in the early 80s. You oh, know? definitely. And and it kind of became a thing in the first place for a few reasons. One, in, in the early 70s, CB radios were deregulated. For a long time, you needed a license for them, like shortwave radios. Like if you want to have a short shortwave radio, which, which is not the same thing as a CB radio, you need a license. You don't need a license for a CB anymore. And that really helped them get more popular. And at the exact same time that happened, this little thing called the gas crisis hit. Gas oh, crisis yeah. happened. 
And this is not a history podcast. I am not. Ex- I am not equipped to p- properly discuss the what's and whys and hows of the gas crisis. But in the mid seventies, gas became more expensive, and as a way to kind of regulate or limit gas consumption, the federal speed limit was instituted at fifty five miles an hour, and that pissed off a lot of people. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It pissed off the most truckers because that hurt their job because they couldn't get to where they had to go as fast. They're paid by my, they're paid by how many jobs they can do. And when you slash their speed limit by 20 miles an hour, you're going to hurt them. So truckers started communicating on CB radios to alert other truckers and, and other drivers who had CB radios where cops were. Yeah, and yeah, they it, it kind of created this very strange culture of truckers being renegade outlaws, you know, like like uh, working against the man. <laughs> they, they were kind of people. folk heroes in a sense, yeah. like they were like these Amer- American folk heroes, which is really so. Like looking back in hindsight, is such a comical thing. Yeah, because back then, especially trucking was actually a pretty dangerous job and it, it's yeah. funny that it was be, be, had become so popular because my uncle actually wanted to be a trucker because of movies like Smokey and the Bandit and oh, my yeah. grandpa was like fine okay well I'll send you on a, a long distance run with your cousin who is a trucker <laughs> and he was on the bu- uh, like lasted a week before he was on a bus home because yeah, he a, saw his cousin doing cocaine in the bathroom with some very shady dudes. So, <laughs> yeah, it was scary, yeah. I guess. Yeah, and like, you know, it was a well-paying job. It was largely a union job. If you were an uneducated blue-collar worker, that was a good gig in the Oh, yeah. yeah. As I'm sure it probably still is. It's probably a very good gig. It's a pretty good gig. Uh, it's like most Good blue collar jobs in America. It got deunionized and deregulated, oh, and great. it has really hurt the wage cuts. And you know, truckers are worked even harder than they used to be. You know, there's a there's a reason why the phrase trucker speed exists. You know, trucker speed, trucker speed being whatever over the counter or easily available pharmaceuticals you can find to make you stay awake. So in the 70s, that'd be Benny's, Benzedrine. In the 80s, it was diet pills. In the 90s, that's meth. Who knows what it is now? But yeah, you know. Yeah, Adderall, probably. That's a good point. Adderall, the drug I, I have, I have fibromyalgia and I get medicine for my fatigue. And it's called, uh, in America, it's called Provigil. And I guess um, that is heavily abused by some people because it gets you a pretty, if I, it doesn't give me a buzz, it makes me awake. But if you need it, it gives you a buzz without giving you a euphoric high. So you can still stay concentrated like Adderall. So mm-hmm. I know that's abused quite a bit, probably by truckers too. Not just I could only old, imagine. Not just my old shithead roommates who would use it to go on raves. But that's early 2000s culture. That's a whole different podcast. So yeah, truckers were huge. CB radios were huge. And you started to get, at the same time, these kind of uh, good old boy movies is, I guess, a good way to call them. At the same time, you get trucker movies, and they would overlap. And even trucker TV shows, there was a trucker TV show called Moving On with a theme song by Merle Haggard that was the number one hit on the country charts because, of course, it was. Oh, really? I, I didn't know that. I knew there was um, the the 
shoot, you know, the General Lee, those boys, the Dukes the of Hazard. Yeah, Dukes of Hazard. And that yes. was also a Merle Haggard, uh, wasn't it? It was a Merle Haggard theme song, yes. just some good old boys. Yeah. Yes, Dukes of Hazard is a fascinating story. And there's a whole other movie associated. So Dukes of Hazard didn't run until way later. That was the late, that was 79. But there was a movie before that called Moon Runners, which came out in the mid 70s, I want to say. It wasn't the first of these movies, 75. So Moon Runners was an action comedy with um, Robert Mitchum's son, James Mitchum, theme music by Waylon Jennings. I think he did the Dukes of Hazard, didn't he? Was that Waylon Jennings? I, I'm probably confusing Merle Haggard and Waylon Jennings. Uh, it could have been. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not going to say definitively because yeah, now I'm confused. Good old boys but. is Waylon Jennings, not Merle. Uh, okay, yeah, so good call. That's, that's okay. It happens, and it's about two good old boys who bootleg booze, and the Dukes of Hazard is based on that. Okay, direct, directly, and one of the funniest little things about it is. And I'm, I might be getting the details of this wrong, but the basic gist of it, it was a little off topic, but it's too crazy not to mention. So there was that terrible 2000s Dukes of Hazard movie, also with Burt Reynolds, that came out oh, in yeah, 2005. Oh, yeah, he played like with, Pa. No, that was Willie Nelson. Who was he in it? He was Boss Hogg. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. That's just sad. It had Willie Nelson's in it, uh, Son William Scott, Johnny Knoxville, and Jessica Simpson, you know. And, yeah. And, and Joe Don Baker. Um, <laughs> but I, but so Warner Brothers made that bought the rights, or they already had the rights to the Dukes of Hazard TV show. So they're like, okay, we'll make a movie on it. Apparently, they didn't get the rights right because they somebody there didn't realize or didn't pay attention and forgot that Dukes of Hazard was already a movie. It was Moonrunners. So okay. they had to pay they had to pay the producers of Moonrunners almost twenty million dollars. Oh my god. Because seventies money. No, no, this is two thousand five. Two thousand five. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, gotcha. So, sorry. So the budget of that movie was like fifty million, but twenty million extra was to pay for the rights because they didn't know somebody messed up in accounting. It's a whole crazy story. But yeah, uh, that's Moonrunners. So Moonrunners okay. is a big, big part of this. And there was other movies. There was uh, uh, the Macon County line, the Return to Macon County, which are these kind of like kind of darker, like good old boy, you know, red. when I say good old boy, I mean redneck, you know, but good old boy movies. There's Jackson County Jail, another really messed up one. Stand on the floor, stroking bores, seat cover starting the game. Now beaver you a trucking with a rubber duck and I'm about to pull a plug on your drain. So in 1975, you get the song Convoy. By C.W. McCall. Uh, yes, which is a terrible song. <laughs> yeah, it's so cheesy. It's absolutely terrible song. And that was turned into a movie. We'll talk about that movie in a little bit later. But the same year that song comes out, you get a movie called White Line Fever, which was a Canadian-American co-production starring John Michael Vincent. That is probably the third or fourth time he's come up on this podcast. And... He, it's a pretty good trucker movie. It's not about cocaine, even though it's called White Line Fever, and it has John Michael Vincent in it, who, cocaine, that's his middle name. Uh, that was a pretty big hit. And then the same year, there was this amazing, sleazy, piece-of-shit movie called Truck Stop Women. 
that, directed by Mark Lester, who did, I think, Commando and Class of 84. If you want to see the sleaziest, like, this down and dirty, crappy, but great movie, watch that. It's on Amazon Prime. And that was a pretty big hit. So you're starting to get the seeds of this happening. And that the two of the biggest good old boy movies that were that around this time were Gator and White Lightning. And Gator and White Lightning starred Burt Reynolds. <laughs> and the stuntman on that, one of the, the, the lead stunt director, stunt whatever you, stunt coordinator on White Lightning was a man named Hal Needham. That is the director of Smokey and the Bandit. So Hal Needham is working on White Lightning. Hal Needham's a stunt coordinator, stuntman. He's living with Burt Reynolds at this point. <laughs> oh my, uh, so they're roommates. He, he is the inspiration for the the, the relationship between um, Brad Pitt and that other character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That is based on Hal Needham and Burt Reynolds. And so they're buddies. They're hanging out. He's Burt Reynolds' stunt double. And they're the director of that movie. Burt Reynolds is directing Gator by this point. And somebody on staff working on those movies was bringing in Coors beer. And Hal was putting it in his uh, fridge, in his hotel. And he would come back to his fridge, and his beer's gone. And... It took him a while to figure out that the maid was stealing his beer. Oh, my God. And it didn't really hit him right away, but it turns out his maid was stealing his beer because in where they were filming, you couldn't buy Coors. Oh, so, is it Dry County or was it just no, Coors? It was, it's Coors because Coors was a regional beer. Oh, interesting. So, so here's the – so because the, the main plot point of Smokey and the Bandit is – the two people, and we'll get to the more details in a bit. The main plot is moving cores across state lines illegally. And that's called bootlegging. When you move something without wanting to pay the taxes on it or because it's illegal, you're bootlegging it. And it's still illegal to this day to, to I mean, technically, to cross borders with alcohol. Oh, you're yeah. Not you're not supposed to do that, right? Yeah. yeah. Unless you got a license for it. You got to get a license for it. But. Coors, in 1975, Coors was the fourth most popular beer in America. It was behind Bud, Silts, and Paps. But it was only sold in 11 states. Really? Because it wasn't pasteurized. Oh, weird. So you had to keep it refrigerated. You couldn't leave it unrefrigerated for more than a week or it would go bad. But people liked it. Even though like, I'm not a beer, are you a beer guy? I mean, not really. I know I, I actually prefer cheap beer over like <laughs> micro brews, but yeah. I'm not a Coors guy. I'd actually be more of a Rainier or even okay. Paps. I I don't drink beer because if I'm going to drink, I want to get fucked up, and beer is not going to do it. So I drink whiskey. But I drink at um, the sober up at the bar. You know, if I'm kind of yeah, winding go- down. Yeah, back before the end times when I would go to gay bars in Tokyo, I would buy, if I didn't want to get wasted, I would drink a Heineken, you know, uh, and that was my beer. But Coors was a big deal for certain people, like Paul Paul Newman, there's all these stories about people like smuggling Coors, like the Secret Service were moving it, were putting it on federal planes and they got busted doing that. Henry Kissinger would smuggle it in D.C. Paul Newman wanted it on all his movie sets. So, like, it had this kind of this outlaw reputation, even though it's pretty, you know, watered-down beer, (laughs) as beers go. Um, Coors was kind of a – they were kind of a strange company at the time. They were still regional, but 
they were protested by a lot of people. Civil rights groups had them on record for doing some racist shit. Um, Coors apparently made gay bars not sell their beer. <laughs> oh, so they like banned their beer from being sold in gay bars. Yeah. All it's a Colorado kind of- company, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And it was only sold in the West. It was only sold in the West. So there's that famous, there's that line in the beginning of Smokey. Don't you know, moving cores east of Mississippi is bootlegging? So yeah, you couldn't get it past those 11 states. Uh, So that, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say real quick about Coors beer. What's wild is that during the the depression or prohibition, I should say, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, Coors was is actually one of the biggest they got into ceramics. And to this day, I, I know this because I worked for Coors. Okay. Um, they are one of the biggest and leading people in industrial ceramic production. Huh. They have like parts, like ceramic parts that are in like the space station and shit. So they 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 have a very profitable uh you know, career or whatever outside of beer because they had to get by during the prohibition. So it's kind of weird that they're, they're kind of very synonymous with like the outlawed beer and, and bootlegging and things. It's so strange. Yeah, that's weird. But yeah, so people were smuggling cores uh, and truckers were smuggling it too. There, there was, I found an article that you could you could a bootlegger could move a case of cores and sell it three times retail price. Really, so that's a pretty good pretty good margin. And Hal Needham uh, found that out, and he's like, "I got an idea for a movie." So <laughs> and that gets us to Hal Needham. Hal Needham's a character we I've already talked about him on an episode about the BMX movie Rad because he directed that also. Uh, so if you really want to get deep into Hal Needham, listen to that one. You know, but he was a stuntman. He worked on westerns. He did some small, small acting work, usually for roles that required stunt work. He was the second unit director on White Lightning and Gator. So that's how he, not just a stuntman, but a second unit director. And that's how he got to know Burt Reynolds. And he got this idea for a movie. He gave the idea, he wrote the script on legal pads. Wow. (laughs) Gave it and showed it to Burt. Burt's like, this is the worst script I've ever seen. I'll do it. Interesting. So, uh, actually, so Burt Reynolds actually like punched up the script for this movie. A lot of people punched up the script. There's a I lot of imagine. writers on this movie. Uh, there are several writers. There are, um, yeah, five writers on this movie, including Hal. So Hal and Robert L. Levy did the story. James Lee Barrett, Charles Shire, and Alan Mandel all wrote the screenplay, and large portions of the film were completely improvised. That entire scene in the choking puke later on is improvised. Like dial jokes are improvised. Sally Field says almost all of her funny lines were improvised. So they did a lot of work on this movie to get it up there, you know, because Hal Needham's a stuntman first and the director second. Uh, he's I was not a writer. Say, how did this movie turn out to be so good if that's the story behind it? But that makes I mean, a that, lot of sense. There's a lot of good writers on it. I mean, yeah. uh, Robert. Robert uh, L. Levy, he's mostly a producer. He produced the Mary-Kate and Ashley videos in the 90s. But he, so uh, strange. Yeah, it's just, you find that stuff. But, you know, he, 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 he has a good eye for action. He produced Point Break, you know, later on. James 
Barrett, he wrote a billion TV movies, and he wrote a really good black exploitation movie called Tick Tick Tick, which is which is kind of like a southern, a good old boy, black exploitation film because it's about Jim Brown in the South as a sheriff. So that's kind of combining black exploitation and another another word for good old boy movies is hicksploitation. So he I've had, not heard that. Yeah, so he he was in there and Charles Shire. That's his first movie, but he worked on um, Jumpin' Jack Flash. You know? Oh, wow. So a few of these writers, they, they knew what they were doing. And like I said, and, and Burt Reynolds, you know, he was a good... He, at that time, Burt Reynolds was the biggest actor in America. He was in uh, Longest Yard and Deliverance, which were huge. The, those movies White Lightning and Gator, which no one's heard of now, were huge. People loved him. He posed nude in Cosmo. Oh yeah, uh, was that the one where he was behind a basketball? Is that what I is? Or no, am I he's, thinking he's of something sitting different? on a he's, he's sitting on a fur rug, and his arm is covering his junk. But he's that's naked. right. And you know you can't tell where the rug begins and Bert begins because that's a lot oh, yeah. of, that's, that's Bert's a hairy man. Um, you know, and this is peak Bert Reynolds, and at the time he's dating Sally Field, who is also in this film. You know, Sally Field. Everyone loves Sally Field. Sally Field's the best. Oh, she's great in this movie. She's great in this movie. She plays Carrie or Frog. Bird is the bandit, Bo, but no one calls him Bo. He's the bandit. And Sally Field, this is her first real big movie role. She was a TV actress. She was on Gidget. And she was the flying nun, which, ask your parents. But she was in a miniseries about a woman with multiple personalities called Sybil. And that was her breakthrough, like, dramatic role. And then she did this. And that helped catapult her to stardom she went on to win two oscars you know everybody likes sally field she's just the best i i don't i don't if, if there's a bad story about sally field i don't want to hear it you yeah know? yeah she's just, agreed yeah she's great so she came in burt wanted her to come in because they were dating you know and but i think i think it's a good idea because the chemistry that's fantastic which is much better than like the one of burt's counterparts like kind of at the same time was clint eastwood oh. and there was a time where he was dating sandra Locke and putting oh, her God. in every one of his movies and uh, that was not a good uh not no. a good combination no no you want to see a real bad movie that has a great ending, watch The Gauntlet. Uh, okay. It also has one of my favorite posters of all time by Frank Rosetta, but that is a garbage film, and she's terrible in it, and he's terrible <laughs> in it. Everyone's <laughs> terrible in it. This movie, nobody's terrible. We also got Jerry Reed. Country. Yeah, he's an outlaw country legend. Not even outlaw. He recorded with Elvis. Like, well, I mean, it was like the genre of country, yeah. outlaw country, like George Jones or, or Merle Haggard and yeah. all those people. He was a, an extremely talented guitar player and totally. kind of a mediocre songwriter. Yeah, um, you know. <laughs> I, I think the theme for this movie is probably his best song, Eastbound and Down. Eastbound it's, and Down is an awesome song. Yes, yeah. it's amazing. And it's it's been like referenced in pop culture so much over <laughs> the years. Because of yeah. just like this movie and how great of a song it is. But he had some minor country hits. Like I think he had one which is like uh She Got the Gold Mine, I Got the Shaft, and <laughs> yeah. like, uh, Famous Amos Moses or something. He yeah. he's like I and I actually like classic country to some extent. Yeah. I know a lot of people think I'm just a prog rock guy, but <laughs> I, I listen to a lot of classic country, specifically yeah. like George Jones. 
but he he's not in the top tier but no as an actor and the, the music he wrote for this movie is awesome yeah and he he uh you know he won a few grammys which you know that's not saying anything because grammys are grammys but still like he he was well known and and uh he was kind of an actor second he was supposed to be the bandit originally but oh, really when, um until bert said yes the movie was going to be a smaller budget movie with reed as the bandit and then when smoke when um Bert agreed to be in it, the studio upped the budget. They then cut the budget later, but they upped it first. And Reed was recast as the snowman. Uh, this is kind of Reed's only real big movie as an actor. We'll talk about some one of his other movies later, but he's 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 in all three smoky movies. He's in oh god, not much. He's in an episode of Mama's Family. <laughs> Does he really? He was in he was in an episode of Evening Shade, Burt Reynolds TV show in the nineties, and I think his last movie was The Waterboy. Who was he in that? I, I don't even I, remember. He was, a, he was a coach. He was a coach in Waterboy. So, oh, okay, yeah. But you know, he met he met Hal on a movie called WW and the Dixie Dance Kings, <laughs> which oh, is wild. another Burt Reynolds car comedy, another good old boy movie, and that's where he met uh, Reed. So yeah, but. Reed's great in this. You know, he he kind of has a, a lesser role because he's just a guy driving a truck, but he's a funny dude. His I love him in all, the role. I think yeah, he does a great, great job. Too. Fred. Um, Fred, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and but I think the real like the, the show stealer in the movie is, of course, Jackie Gleason. Oh yeah. Yeah. Jackie Gleason plays Sheriff Buford T. Justice. And Jackie Gleason's just a legendary comedian. He he and a recording star. He was a recording star in the fifties. Like he was. I did not know that about him. That's back in the day when that was more common. You know, you get somebody would have a TV show, kind of like in Japan. It's still a thing here. Somebody has a TV show, a movie, and a fucking album, and they're all terrible. But um, <laughs> God, don't even get me going. But yeah, no, he had a he had a hugely popular TV show that was ran off and on from the fifties to the seventies. The Honeymooners. You know, yeah. he invented the modern sitcom format. The Honeymooners was the first sitcom to focus on working class people. He had a variety show as well, didn't yes, he? The, yeah, the Honeymooners came out of that variety show. Oh, okay. With yeah. Crazy it, Guggenheim, right? Yeah, all kinds of crazy stuff, yeah. yeah. And he started acting in films in the 60s. He's in The Hustler um, with Paul Newman. Uh, fantastic movie. He's in a movie called Requiem for a Heavyweight in 1962, which is a great movie, and he's amazing in it, and I recommend that movie. And uh, that's with Anthony Quinn, I believe. There are two versions of that film, and I get it mixed up, because one of them has Anthony Quinn, one of them has Jack Blanche. They're both good movies. Then he did a bunch of movies you've never heard of. (laughs) Uh, I I wrote them down. Skidoo, How to Commit Marriage, Don't Drink the Water, Papa's Delicate Condition, (laughs) Soldier in the Rain. I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> Took some time off filming from, from films, came back and did Smokey. He's just, you can tell, I have a feeling that a lot of his lines were improvised too, you know? Oh my God. Yeah, he's he's hilarious in this movie. He yeah, really he's... is one of the better characters for sure. And he strikes a delicate balance because he's, he's this asshole abusive sheriff from texas and i think if you made this movie in 2021 you couldn't have him be this funny like you couldn't have him be this likable right because he's a dirty nah. cop. he actually reminds me a lot of the character j sergeant jw pepper from the james bond movies i don't i don't know if you're familiar with those at all but he's also that, Baker? Uh, 
Uh, he's in uh, the man with the gold. I don't know who plays him, but he's in the man with the golden gun and one of the other ones. And he's a racist sheriff who's very eccentric from the south. Kind of reminds <laughs> me of that same kind of character as Jackie Gleason in this movie. No, that's Clif- Clifton James. Okay, I'm sorry, I got him mixed up. No, it's a delicate balance to make this character likable, you know, but because he's a bastard, but he's just, he's just so funny. And yes, just. Boy, I'm, oh God, I can't. I don't even want to say his best line, but you know, <laughs> and you know the way the way he just says "some bitch," like <laughs> it's funny, and everything about him is funny. And he has this idiot son, and he just the way he can just look at his son for him to shut up, shut up. He just boy, <laughs> and his son has to shut up. He he just he has exudes this really funny, like oh God, you don't get good villains in comedies like that anymore they're just too annoying yeah it's a really hard balance to strike and this in this movie it's perfect yeah his son who has no name he's this junior uh he's played by mike henry who was a former linebacker for the rams and you can tell because that dude built like a brick shit house yeah he's Uh, tall as well big man with a huge with like a like a chiseled jawline like just like it's a massive dude. He was in three Tarzan movies, apparently. He was discovered in Hollywood because the Rams won LA. And the movie executives were like, Yeah, hey, you want to be in a movie? And he was in Tarzan. And, you know, I'm going to say that uh, Mike Henry looks good in a loincloth. Just oh, a- really? Oh, oh, yes. I want to. I haven't I wanna- seen any Tarzan films, so uh, I-, I wouldn't know. Watching a trailer from that film made me want to. Uh, <laughs> so, wow. Um, sorry. That's quite uh, the review. Yes, yeah, yes. It gets it gets uh, four stars from a. I'm not gonna finish, finish this joke. Let's move on. Anyway, um, but yeah, he's in a few of the movies. He didn't do a ton of stuff. He was in Longest Yard, but he didn't do much after Smokey. Unfortunately, he was a linebacker, so he got Parkinson's and uh. Uh, passed away. But he's great in this. I think it's a very simple role, but he he plays a dumbass well. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's probably the perfect role for someone who's maybe like acting isn't their first profession. Yeah, it's like don't give him a lot of dialogue. He does a good job of just standing there and looking stupid when he needs to. Uh, it's 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 probably a, a perfect role for someone like him. Yeah, yeah. It's it's he it's he's match made in heaven. The role, the role he was born to play, stupid and tall. No, <laughs> that's mean. But speaking of tall. There's also Big Enos, played by Pat McCormick. Pat McCormick looked like that. Big Enos is this giant dude. He's six foot seven. Oh, yeah. He was was primarily a writer. He wrote for Johnny Carson, and he wrote Get Smart. But he was in a few movies. He's in History of the World and Scrooge. He's also in the little person comedy Under the Rainbow, which is a terrible film. But he looks like that. Like He's just this giant dude with a huge mustache. And with him is the person playing his son, Little Enos is uh, Paul Williams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, who I've already done an episode on Phantom of Paradise, so I don't need to tell you who Paul Williams is. You can uh, listen to that episode. But having Paul Williams stand next to a dude who's six foot seven is funny. Yeah, that was uh, their hilarious combo. And, and I don't, I, what I would love to see is like a spinoff movie with just the two of them and like who they are because. Why are these two rich, eccentric, you know, millionaires in nudie suits paying all this money to uh, ship 
Coors Light or Coors <laughs> Banquet across borders is yeah. just beyond me. They need to go into that because like, and maybe that's what makes it so funny is because it is unsaid who the hell these two guys are. But yeah, they got they got more dollars and cents, you know. You know, they yeah. Got, you know, and but it's funny. Paul Williams is five foot two. This dude's six foot seven. That's that's about that's about the height difference between me and my boyfriend. So now I see why everyone laughs. Oh really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm six foot six. So and he's about five foot three, I think. So yeah, it's uh, you know, I get I get it. It's funny. It's fine. I I, I see it now. I don't mind them laughing, but I still you know. Don't stare. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a great cast. Willie comes together, but there is one more star of the film, the uh, 1977 Pontiac Fiber Trans Am. <laughs> oh yeah, yes, absolutely, <laughs> yes. Uh, but that's not actually a 1977 Trans Am. Uh, that is technically a 1967 model that was modded to look like a 77 car. T- car. Car internet people are weird, and if you want to know anything about any car in any movie, <laughs> oh, yeah. they, will, they will tell you. So, like, from topspeed.com, the differences between the two, the 1977 features rectangular quad headlamps instead of only two round lights and a unique slanted and V-shaped nose and a center-mounted hood scoop. So those are the differences. I don't know what any of that means, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> But they used three of them when they were making the movie and one for one for promoting the movie. The three they used in the movie were completely totaled. Oh, like, I could imagine. Totally totaled. The one that was used in promotion is now owned by a collector who paid over half a million dollars for it. Oh, I'm not surprised by that at all. Yeah, but that made the, the Pontiac Firebird was already a pretty popular car. This just skyrocketed it. It became sales doubled. Oh, I didn't even know, like, as a kid, I had no idea what a Pontiac Firebird was or a Trans Am oh. or anything. But it was like the that Firebird on the yeah. hood of the car is so iconic that I, even as a kid with no idea about cars, I could tell that meant that was a fast car. So so did you watch this movie a lot as a kid? Um, It was definitely, like, probably one of those movies back in the 90s because I'm, okay. I'm only 32. Okay. okay. But, um, in the TNT movies for guys who like movies. I don't know if you recall that at I all. I recall that, yes. And I feel like, I mean, this is the kind of movie that if it came on, my dad would like insist that, mm. we, you know, it was like, we have to watch Smokey and the Bandit. It's, it's, there's no changing it if, if you flip through the channels and stumble upon it. Yeah. My, you know, I'm older than you. I'm 41. And, I was born in 79, so I was born well after the peak of this kind of movie, but I didn't know that. And my brother, who's a little bit older than me, loved cars as a kid, and he, we both loved Dukes of Hazard. So we would watch Smokey and the Bandit and Cannonball Run all the time. Uh, Cannonball Run, by the way, doesn't hold up, but Sm- Oh, really? <laughs> oh, ooh. ooh. Um, but yeah, we would watch those all the time, and I thought. Firebirds were amazing. I had a Firebird Hot Wheel or some kind of Firebird toy. I remember there was a person who my my dad had a few video stores in Toledo, and at one of them there was always a Firebird in the parking lot, and I always thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I'm like, yo, that that that's the fucking Bandit, man. That's <laughs> awesome, you know, because I was like seven. Um, but in real life, that was probably some high school dropout who was working at the f- freaking convenience store, you know. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. 
not as cool a dude or some dad in a midlife crisis. But, you know, uh, or a guy, I imagine a guy who like peaked in high school and is yeah. still trying to live out the dream, yeah. like in yeah. the, the 80s with like the mullet and the denim and everything. Like, yeah. Yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, also, like, if you're owning a Firebird in the mid 80s that looks like that. I bet you that yeah you're either you either peaked in high school or you're a, you're I guess still that would be a, that'd be a boomer you could be a boomer or slightly pre boomer and you're trying to you know it's you you don't have enough money for the Ferrari but <laughs> you you want to look fast and look cool so you get the Trans Am <laughs> I don't know it is like I I don't know a lot about car history but it does feel kind of like the one of the last muscle cars. Like I don't know exactly what was released around them, but it seemed like in, in the eighties, cars, you know, thematically and and the way they looked was shifting so much. Yeah, especially with like the increase of popularity of like Japanese cars, like Datsun mm-hmm. or Honda and things. So yeah. it does kind of feel like the Trans Am is, or like maybe the Camaro, or like some of the last. Yeah. American the muscle Am, cars. Yeah, the Trans Am was a competitor of, of the Camaro, you know, and yeah, and, to, and the Mustang. But the Mustang kind of fell on hard times in the eighties in terms of its style. Yeah, it's pretty my, bad. Yeah, my dad had one of those ninety Mustangs that he freaking loved. Uh, a lot of dudes did, but yeah, it, it is it is a cool car. You know, I'm not a car guy, but it's a cool car. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you know, like I said, when I was a kid, I loved this movie. You know, and I think a lot of kids love this movie. But as I grew up, I remember when I had a film class in college in the late '90s, and we had to watch this in film in a film class, a film class about movies made from the mid '70s to late, like kind of like Nixon and Reagan era movies. And I convinced myself it was bullshit. Like I, I was like, um, I, 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 I was, I thought I was too good for Smokey and the Bandit. I think maybe. <laughs> At the time, I was very much, you know, uh, just a college snob. Maybe I don't know what it was, and like, yeah, you only liked Godfather and Citizen Kane. You were well, too I, good. No, for I only like I only liked <laughs> Jackie Chan and uh, different kinds of garbage, not this kind of garbage. And we watched it, and I hated it. Like I, I little legitimately hated it, and. I guess I didn't come back around on it until relatively recently when I watched it again in Japan on Netflix and when it was on Netflix here and I was sick one day and I was just like, I don't want to think. And I put it on Smoking the Bandit and I'm like, yo, this movie's great. This movie's amazing. What was what was wrong with 1990s me? I was an asshole. <laughs> You know, and that got me that got me to rewatch Cannonball Run and I learned not all of them are great. But um Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. We 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 you know, we haven't exactly said what the film is about totally. It's about, you know, it's about you wanna say what it's about? So this movie, like I said, it was it's about two ex, two eccentric wealthy cowboys in nudie suits. Nudie was a tailor <laughs> during the, you know, fifties to the eighties. Yeah. Uh, he kind of defined the appearance for country western clothing. Um, mm-hmm. They Good pay yeah. Burt Reynolds and and uh, Snowman, which is uh, Jerry, Jerry Reed. To they have it's kind of like almost like a trading places kind of thing where it's like just two rich dudes betting to see if these guys could run 
all this beer across state lines. And that's, that's just really it. It's like wackiness yeah. and goes on from there. So yes, it, 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 the plot's very simple. Um, Burt Reynolds character, the bandit, he's known for being a truck driver in the movie, but he also in the, in the, his character in the movie and in, in this movie, he almost, he never drives a truck. Really. He's what they call a blocker. And yeah, he gets this Trans Am basically to distract the cops while Snowman, Jerry Reed, he transports the beer, which is interesting because bootlegging was a thing. A bootlegging course beer was a thing. I tried really hard. I could not find any proof that blocker cars ever existed. I Yeah, I can't imagine like, A, if pay was competitive, if you were a truck driver and you're thinking about like, Okay, I got three days to get from you know Texarkana to wherever, and I, are you going to pay additional money yeah. to have somebody keep the cops off of you? It seems absolutely crazy. Yeah, but you I know, guess if you're bootlegging, maybe yeah. so. I don't know. I think I think in moving drugs that would be more common, but they wouldn't do. They wouldn't try to outrun the cops. They would just let the cops pull them over, and get a ticket while the, yeah, oh yeah. while the while the main car goes by. I, I Have you ever seen the documentary Cocaine Cowboys? I don't think I have. It's a fantastic documentary about 80s, 70s and 80s cocaine culture and how you really, if you really want to move something illegal on the road, they go into a lot of detail. You don't do this. What you do is <laughs> you put the cocaine in a car you or, or anything you want illegal in a car. You get the car towed on a flatbed truck. Oh. Or a tow truck. You don't. You hire a legitimate tow truck, so they oh. have no idea what's in the car. They get pulled over. They don't know what's in the car. They they were paid to tow it. Problem solved. So like that's not as exciting as you know smoking a bandit. But yeah, but it, so genius. Yeah, <laughs> like they, thinking it, about it. Yeah, Cocaine Cowboys is a fantastic documentary. But yeah, they go on the road, and while they're on the road, um, Burt Reynolds picks up. Uh, Frog Carrie, who will later be known as her handle, Frog, played by Sally Field. Sally Field is on the run. She's a, a runaway bride. She was gonna marry the Seraph's daughter, Seraph's son, but she's like, "This man's an idiot. I gotta get out of here." Yeah. So she jumps. She jumps ship, and they go together, and they fall in love on the road. And that's the movie. Like the rest of it is just a series of wackiness, wacky hijinks, and funny car chases, and um a lot of cb porn like a lot of <laughs> a lot of loving shots of cb radios and people spouting out trucker slang and cb slang you know well, because I, it's a fad it's funny because like i don't imagine that cb culture was actually like this at all oh no i do at least think that it shows like C- cb radio was the internet before the internet yeah, totally. Like, yeah. And you know, that's where a lot of like chat room slang probably comes from is yeah. a military lingo from over the radios in World War II, Vietnam and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these people then like, you know, it was you had your handle which is like your screen name and it it was it, an eccentric group of it's always this eccentric group of people but it is it is a very romanticized version of the CB radio culture, of course. Yeah. But it, it is hilarious. The way well, they do it is just hilarious. Yeah, a lot like Rad, which I've already talked about on this podcast. Smokey and the Bandit is a fad movie, and it, it's playing on the one of the big fads, the CB radio, and a lot like maybe 
uh, Hackers, the movie Hackers. Yeah. Hackers is not a realistic portrayal of hacker culture. No. No. No one, you know, maybe Hackers looked like Angelina Zoli and the cute guys in that movie. I don't think so. I'd have met one. But it, it's it's the idealized, the romanticized, the fun part. There's a scene at the, near the end of the film where the, a bunch of people in cars plan a roadblock. Uh, and oh, yeah. That feels like the most CB centric part of the movie and it's like that's like the audience in Sersen. like these people are the audience they're in regular yeah. cars or in their tricked out regular cars and they're helping smoke they're helping the band get away from Smokey. <laughs> so. i love that somehow like even across state lines everybody knows each other it's yeah, like that oh that's too, yeah. snowman oh great that's bandit of course we're gonna well, help bandit, bandit out like yeah and the bandit's supposed to be famous like, yeah, he's world famous. Like, but he knows everybody. He, he knows, knows everybody. everybody. Everybody knows him. And like in, the Enuses, which is fun to say, the Enuses find him at this rodeo road, the R O A D E O for truckers, and he's just being paid to sit on a hammock and have <laughs> yeah. people look at him. Like that's how famous he is. You know, if it were modern times, he'd have like an autograph table. But like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or he'd be on you know Twitch. Uh, yeah. Smokey's the first streamer. No, I mean the band. The band. It's the first streamer. But yeah, I mean, it's it's such a crazy idea, you know that that there's a a famous trucker and they and and the famous trucker looks like Burt Reynolds. I mean, come on. I mean, it's just <laughs> not gonna happen. You know, not not to get too I don't know gay, but like Burt Reynolds, not my type. But in this movie, I get it. Like, oh, he's he like shits masculinity, oh, like. He, He's got the body hair, which was sexy at the time, and, and he's just he was all, everything about him. Yeah, and and the, his very first scene is him looking up and laughing and smiling, and he has the best laugh. <laughs> oh, I love your suit. Just it's just such a great laugh, and he has this. It's smile. iconic at this point. Like yeah, you would and, recognize it from anywhere. He has this feel. The entire movie has a feeling that he knows it's a movie and is kind of goofing around. Like he just <laughs> has this really fun energy, and that's why he was such a big star. Like he used to be on talk shows and he would talk shit about himself, like Burt Reynolds would, and it kind of gave him a good image of like he was sexy and funny and didn't take himself too seriously, and he was a good actor. So, and I think this role really plays into that persona really well, and it helped him become an even bigger he was when he made this movie he was the biggest star in america when he finished after the movie came out he was an even bigger even bigger star it's crazy just how popular he was when did he become so di- like because he now has the reputation of like you always hear about burt reynolds like don't hire him he's such a lunatic you don't want to uh, work with that guy well i don't know about his that reputation of him being crazy i think the bigger problem with burt reynolds is that he couldn't pick a damn script and he was too tied to Hal Needham because he uh, they, were, they were they were friends, you know. And the reviews for this weren't great. I'll get there in a minute. They, but they were decent. But like after almost every movie he would make with Hal Needham, so Ebert especially would say, "Burt Reynolds can't keep doing this. If he keeps doing this, it's going to kill his career." And it did. He's in a movie called Stroker Ace. Now. Now, I haven't seen Stroker Race, but I have to imagine Cannonball Run and Cannonball Run 2 were huge hits. They're both terrible, terrible movies by Hal Needham. Stroker Ace is even worse from what I've been told. 
And that's frightening to me. (laughs) (laughs) And he turned down, I think Bert turned down Terms of Endearment to be in Stroker Race. And he, there's a, it's on the Wikipedia page, he's talked about it a lot. Like, he blames that movie for killing his career. Like, he never was able to recover. He, you know, he made a few movies in the 80s. There was a Sharky's Machine, and that was pretty good. But then he just kind of, kind of petered out, really, until Boogie Nights. Oh, know? yeah, yeah. But, and then he was offered to be in Magnolia, but he didn't like working with uh, Paul W.S. Anderson and said no. And so he really even couldn't capitalize off Boogie Nights. You know, that was kind of like a last hurrah. And he passed away a couple of years ago. You know, his, his, his post's mid-80s filmography is really, really, really sketchy. And it's a shame because I, I feel like he could have done so much more, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, but this movie, like I said, Burt's later movies didn't get good reviews. This movie... Not the best reviews. It, it did amazingly well. It was it opened Memorial Day weekend in 1977, but not everywhere. It really opened and only opened in the South and in some big cities. But it made almost two million dollars, around two million dollars on opening weekend. That's more than Star Wars. Wow. That's, I mean, I can th- see it would have been a very approachable movie. Yeah, like it and, was family friendly, pretty much, yeah. and. Yeah, I'm, I'm I mean, not surprised by that. Yeah, I mean, Star Wars, it came out the same year as Star Wars. And obviously, Star Wars was the most successful film that year. I mean, duh. Yeah. Uh, they came out the same week, actually, same weekend. Oh, did they um, really? Yes, they did. Uh, Star Wars, you know, would go on in 19, in its original release, Star Wars grossed about $220 million. Wow. Uh, Smokey grossed $126 million. and. I can't find the numbers for 1977, but in its original run, it grossed that much money. And I say that because it was in theaters for two years. I think, yeah, my dad said he saw it four times in theaters, so I'm not surprised by that. And that's back before VHS was really a thing. So, you know, movies would play first run theaters, and then they would get second run theaters, and then drive-ins, and then double features, and... They would just stay around. A movie, a movie like Smokey and the Band, it would be in the theaters forever. And it just made a ton of money. It, it, it was a huge, huge, huge hit. And uh, I think its, its success kind of surprised a lot of critics who did not like it. You know, it got decent reviews. Like, but I found a lot of um, newspaper reviews that like the general consensus is like, you know, two and a half stars. Well, it's a comedy and and it's, like rarely do comedies really like, you know, they don't attract critic attention as beyond just being like, oh, it's kind of funny, you know. That and it's a movie for the south. Yeah, that's true. And, it, and uh a lot of critics, you know, there's definitely reading some of these reviews, a lot of these critics are uh a little bit elitist. One in the Philadelphia Inquirer that had no byline. It said, another bad new movie about the good old boys. Oh, uh, wow. Yes. It says, this Burt Reynolds vehicle clones dumb car chases with redneck patois of Citizens Band Radio. It's aimed at those with their ears on and their brains in neutral. <laughs> 
that doesn't even seem like a bad like that doesn't seem like a bad review to me. It's like okay, yeah, sure. I, I would still like, see that movie. I feel like some people this doesn't happen so much now. I think when you review a movie, you should review it in the mind of is it accomplishing what it wants to accomplish? You know, and that's like I think it was Ebert said that about Fast and Furious, like. The Fast and Fu- the first Fast and Furious film does what it sets out to do, and it does it extremely well. Yeah, you know, if you go into Smokey and the Bandit expecting Fellini, you're a dumbass. Like, <laughs> yeah. you're dumber than the people you're shooting on. Like, there was a review here. It's like this is a I'm gonna this is a long quote, but it kind of sums it up. A guy named John Huddy who wrote who wrote for the Night News Service says. Broken into critical bits and pieces, nothing is right with Smoking the Band, the, the latest in a long and primitive series of good old boy movies that start Burt Reynolds and a procession of supercharged stock automobiles. Smokey is a regional film for an area and class of folk who aren't interested in Woody Allen's attitudes towards big city life or Robert Altman's latest dream. Smokey wow. is a- Smokey is by a good old boy, for a good old boy, and of a good old boy, and that's all you have to know. So, like, that's that is, really interesting to me because, like, I just imagine that everybody loved this movie, and like, you know, I guess my family history is just I come from good old boys because I just <laughs> assumed everybody loved this movie. You know, it's it's one of those movies that I loved it, and my brother loved it, and all the kids in my neighborhood loved it. But none of, I would never hear, like, I never watched it with my parents. And it was on daytime TV a lot. There's a whole thing about, like, the daytime TV edits became kid kid lingo. Like, instead of saying some bits, he says scumbum. And that became, (laughs) that became, like, kid, a kid slang term in the 80s because we heard it on TV so much. So, That's hilarious. Yeah. So, like, kids really latched onto it, and I would imagine it got a second life on video, you know, oh, and, I, and, I, then, yeah. and then and TV, and especially TV. And even like when I was a really little kid, like, God, uh, probably four or five, like, I, I mean, you got to imagine I'm watching this, I'm five years old. I don't know what it's about. I don't understand what bootlegging is. I don't know any of that shit but i'm watching a cool dude drive a fast car <laughs> oh it's like slapstick in a way it's, it's like just slapstick. silly it's yeah. a cartoon yeah and like i didn't realize until i watched it in college that bert and sally field's characters have sex in the movie yeah that, that's what like that was one of the things that stuck out to me a lot as watching yeah. this movie is that this movie clearly wants to be family friendly yeah yeah they have the, with the one time that Glatt, Jackie Gleason's character is supposed to say fuck, they have a car honk at the same yeah. time or something, so you can't hear it. I hope you'll accept my apologies for my profanity. Apology accepted. No. We're talking really good about this movie because we both love it, but it is not entirely without... Um, problematic elements let's say so what you said you made a list so just very like uh, just kind of some things one would be first thing i noticed license plate of the car yeah. is a confederate flag yeah, it's that's very a brief yeah. very brief it's not like the general lee where it's painted on the top of the car <laughs> yeah. um you know i mean some of the way bandit talks to carrie is 
not, you know, it's a little sexist, of course. There's a lot of toxic masculinity in this film. Yeah. Jackie I, I, Gleason's character is racist, but although it's like part of his character is you're supposed to be like, I don't like this guy and being yeah, racist is bad. Played, yeah, his racism is played as a punchline against him. And he never says the N-word. No. And that joke, that joke where he comes into uh, the next state and the sheriff of the area is black. Yes. And he's he's surprised when he meets him and he says, oh, I'd imagine you being taller. That was like a pretty good joke. I'll admit <laughs> that made me laugh pretty hard. Yeah. And like, I want to. I'll talk a bit more about other stuff. But before, but before I even do that, I do want to say, like, if you watch this movie and that stuff upsets you or offends you, I totally get it. Okay, I don't, I'm not saying you shouldn't be upset by it, but it doesn't bother me. And you know, that's just how I feel about it. But like the, I think some of the the banter between Frog, Sally Field, and and Bert, you know, it works because he's so charming. And yeah. And and yeah. they have a natural chemistry because they were dating. Yeah, and like they actually have some redeeming qualities for him. Yeah, and there was one line that uh, actually really stuck out to me mm-hmm. from from Burt Reynolds' character, the Bandit, and he's taught It's the like the love scene in the middle of the movie with him and mm-hmm. Carrie, and it says, "When you tell somebody something, it depends on what part of the United States you're standing in, as to how dumb you are." And I actually thought that was pretty profound for kind of like this movie and like who it was intended for. I was actually pretty impressed by Burt Reynolds uh, stating that and that he would at least recognize that there are differences between cultures in America. Yeah. It's like if if you're in Mississippi in the 70s and you don't know who Waylon Dennon is, you're a dumbass. Yeah. But if you if you're in if you and if you know who Woody Allen is, nobody gives a shit. Yeah, it's, it's Mississippi, you know. Uh, I I tell I always tell my boyfriend about this movie because you know he's Japanese. I'm like, this movie's not set in the South; it's set in the South. Like, yeah, it's, it's it's not. It is the deep South, and that's a different kind of culture. And I think Burt Reynolds that line is kind of almost like a preemptive strike against some of those critics. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah. hey, before you go judging me, like, remember who this is for. And like, you know, Carrie's character, Frog, is very specifically supposed to be different from Burt yeah. Reynolds. She was like a dancer from In New York, New York yeah. City. And like, it was kind of like this, hey, I don't care that you're different than me. I still like you. And I think we can get along. Like and maybe it was never intended to be even that deep of a thought, yeah. but it it is kind of a kind of a nice message. And he, you know, I've seen a lot of movies from the seventies, and protagonist men could be complete pigs, and it would be okay. He's not a pig. He he makes one kind of crass joke when they're naming her frog. He's name he names her frog because he's always hopping around and he wants to jump her. Oh yeah, <laughs> but he says it with a smile on his face, and he never makes a move on her. Like they pull over afterwards to help to, to let her go, like because he wants to get you yeah. know. To, and so like, there's never any creepiness there. That it's always very light and fun. And no, I think, he's not Sean Connery. And no, this, no, not at all. No. And like, believe and yes, problematic things aside from this movie, for the time, 
actually like was way like you said it holds up way better than i thought it would (laughs) compared to other movies from the 70s especially movies aimed towards people from the south yeah like even like dirty harry which was the first one was probably around this time it's a little earlier no it's much earlier dirty harry is is, dirty harry is in the 60s almost uh I want to say Dirty Harry is 67. No, 70, is it 71, really? 70, no, I'm sorry, 71, 71. Okay. 71. But like, if you watch Dirty Harry, which is like, I would argue, probably kind of meant for the same crowd to, of people, mm. like guys' movies or whatever, that movie has some really racist remarks in it. And whether well, they're jokes or not, it's kind of like that shit does not hold up well. Well, well, yo, Dirty Harry is a fascist movie. And like I like Dirty Harry. I own Dirty Harry. I own the entire series. But Oh, of course. Dirty, Dirty Harry is like Death Wish. It is a fascist film. It is a film that promotes and excuses police brutality and violence against a people who they don't like. And I mean, isn't the fourth one? They're specifically just like the bad guys are hippies. Yes. Or is it the third one? I don't know. I forget but. which one they all blend together <laughs> after a while. But like you know, and there's the there's a scene in that movie where he threatens a a, a gay kid. Look at who's cruising. In 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 the first Dirty Harry, they don't say he's a gay kid cruising, but he's a gay kid cruising. And so like Dirty Harry, I think is a much more political film. There is nothing political about Smoking the Bandit. It is, it is I. How Needham would not know how to make a political film. No. <laughs> no. You know, the, the director of Rad um, wouldn't know what to do with, with a political movie. You know, it takes a special kind of guy to push them big old 18-wheelers down the highway. But they're a tough breed, them dudes. They make a 900-mile run in the blizzard look like a trip to church. Hi, this is Jerry Reed. We just finished shooting a motion picture about some of these good old boys. And before we got through with the ride... Well, he got wilder and can't crap. I play Iron Duke Borton. You can't miss me. I'm the one on the screen with the cab over face. So move on a little bit and talk about what happened after Smokey, because it was such a huge hit that you're going to make a sequel and you're going to get ripoffs. And before we get to the sequel, I want to talk a bit about what came immediately after Smokey, because I think it's really interesting. So. We talked about the song Convoy. There's a movie Convoy. And I'm recording this episode before I record another episode about a film called Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. Have you seen that? You know I that have is? not. That's a Sam Peckinpah film. Sam Peckinpah did Wild Bunch. And uh, Sam Peckinpah also directed Convoy. <laughs> um, Convoy was made at the same time Smokey was made, but it came out later. Uh, it stars. Chris Christopherson, Ali McGraw, Seymour Castle, and Ernest Borgnine. It's based on the song. Like the so- the story in the song is the movie. <laughs> the main character is Rubber Duck. Um, yeah, it's a horrible movie. Absolutely horrible. It is. It is where we are lucky as a people that Smokey came out first, um, <laughs> because it is so much about trucking and trucker culture and it tries to be political because it's Sam Peckinpah and it's trying to do something more but Sam Peckinpah and I'll talk about this in, in the in the Alfredo Garcia episode by 1978 Sam Peckinpah was a goddamn mess he was coked out of his mind and drunk all the time he barely directed that movie James Coburn apparently came in and directed it 
without credit. It's it's a bad. It has a good car chase, but it's a terrible trucker movie. And then there is uh, Jerry Reed. So Jerry Reed made a quick follow up to this without anybody else called Highballing, and I talked about that with you a little bit. Highballing also came out in '78. Now I want you to think about that. Smokey and the Bandit came out in '77, and Highballing came out in '78. That's a quick turnaround. <laughs> yeah, and it, and you know what? It shows. So Highballing. <laughs> Oh, God, it's so bad. Highballin has, it stars him. He's the main character with Peter Fonda. And it's about, it's, it's about truckers being kind of pushed aside by like big trucking conglomerates and trucking uh, like anti-union stuff. And, but it's obviously filmed in Ontario. Like you can see the CN <laughs> yeah. Tower. You can just see the CN Tower. Um, and Peter Fonda shows up in a motorcycle on a motorcycle and then he never drives it again he's <laughs> just contractually like, obligated to have one motorcycle shot in it but only one oh, it's so mad <laughs> it has one fantastic stunt scene where they're like fight people are fighting on the back of a tractor trailer that's hauling cars and that's it but it's it's terrible the fight scenes are terrible it's so ha- it, it, it wants to be a trucker movie so bad it, it keeps throwing in it has so much CB trucker lingo. I had to pause and look it up because I didn't understand it. It's trying so hard to be a trucker movie and it's just absolutely terrible. But I don't know if it's worse than Smokey and the Bandit 2. Yeah, like Smokey and the Bandit 2, if we're ready to talk about that, like, go ahead. I got the vibe that Smokey and the Bandit 2 did the same thing that Coming to America, the sequel, did. Coming to America. (laughs) I don't know if you watched that recently. No, I have not. Okay, so it's a lot of like, oh my God, can you believe it's blank? But it's Mm -hmm. all these actors that nobody, like, I didn't know who they were because I didn't grow up in the 60s and 70s. But it's like, oh my God, can you, it's these famous football players. It's this famous character actor. It's like getting by on cameos. To kind yeah. of like spice up this movie, which ultimately I turned off halfway through because I was really tired and it was not funny and it was really dumb. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the cast now. It has Mean Joe Green. Oh, it has um, the Statler Brothers. God. <laughs> Brenda Lee's in it. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, Terry Bradshaw, Chuck Yeager. <laughs> No, I don't mean the shit on coming to America because it wasn't a it wasn't horrible. It was the, the new one. Of, the new one. Yeah, it was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. It was it was definitely not Citizen Kane, but it was yeah. it was like kind of cute. But this movie kind of was like making the same. Had I seen it, maybe at the time I'd have been excited to see all those people. But mm-hmm. as a you know a dude in his thirties, I really was not impressed by who was on it and the plot. <laughs> was so stupid at least smoking and the bandit the first one ends with the 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 two the two wealthy brothers propositioning that they go double or nothing on their mm-hmm. bet and they try to go to new england and run yeah. clam chowder and <laughs> actually i would have liked to have seen that movie more than them trying to smuggle an elephant in a truck <laughs> And that was like this, this whole plot line of like, there's so many gags that are just like, can you believe it? An elephant in a semi truck. And they have, I can't remember the actor that plays the doctor. I know he's probably someone very famous at the time. Dom DeLuise. 
Yeah. Oh, they God. have this, this supposedly Italian doctor who is following, you know, who's traveling with them. And it's like, uh, they tried way too hard to make it funny and it, yeah. it did not do anything for me. Yeah. 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 Dom DeLuise is in many, many Boat Reynolds films. Uh, he's in Smoking the Bandit 2. He's in Cannonball Run and Cannonball 2. A few others. The only movie with Dom DeLuise and Burt Reynolds that anyone should watch is The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas because that movie's amazing. That's one of the best, probably one of Burt Reynolds' best films post Smokey. That's 1982. It has Dolly Parton and Jim Neighbors. That movie's that's where the song uh, "I Will Always Love You" became famous. Oh, really? You know, yeah, yeah. It was. It's not from the movie, but it was. It was made famous again. It, that movie was a hit single for Dolly twice. Yeah, and, see, and then Whitney yeah. Houston. Whitney Houston for Body had a yeah. big hit with it too. In yeah. Body, okay, yeah. yeah. But yeah, Dom DeLuise is a red flag. Um, <laughs> he's in a he's in a a B grade Doris Day film. Like he he gets around. Dom DeLuise's best role is the cameo in the first Muppet movie. But yeah, I, I'm sure I saw Smokey and the Bandit 2 when it came when I was a kid. I'm sure I did, but I have zero recollection of it, and I don't want to go back to it. You know, um, I watched Highball, and that was enough. I don't want to go. <laughs> and then there's I'm of course, definitely sp- not going to try three. Uh, oh no, how bad two was. I don't think I'm going to brave. I don't think I could be bored. There's not being bored enough to watch Smokey and the Bandit three. You know how bad a, a, a how Needham didn't do Smokey and the Bandit three. Do you know how bad an idea had to be for <laughs> how Needham to say no to it? Smokey oh and the Bandit God. three. Burt Reynolds has Burt Reynolds has a cameo in a dream sequence. Oh wait, um, so he's not even the main character. No, the main character is Jackie Gleason. Um, oh. And Jerry Reed. So in Smokey and the Bandit three, like this is this is what I'm gleaning from the trailer and reading reading a description of it because I'm not watching Smokey and the Bandit three ever again. From not I'm an adult. Um, the Buford is retired, and he takes a bet from Big Enos to move a stuffed fish. <laughs> oh my god! And from Florida to Texas, and then Enos pays the snowman. To stop him, and okay. there's a whole, there's a whole. So the original title of the movie was "Smokey Is the Bandit." Okay. Orig- so some people, I think, I think some people get confused about what that means. There are some people who believe that that meant that Jackie Gleason was playing both roles. That he was going to be oh, like he was going to do a nutty professor with Eddie Murphy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now. That that is in some accounts say that, and the movie did undergo extensive reshoots, but there's no that footage has never aired. There was an article in Variety that said he was playing two characters, but that footage is that footage is long gone. No one's ever seen it, so who really knows how how much that existed or not? But I think there could not have been a good idea. There is not a good version of that movie. It doesn't no. Um, Hal Needham and Burt Reynolds would follow this up with um, Hooper, um, which is a couple years later. That's a great movie. Um, that's probably that probably that's yeah, yeah 1978 Hooper, and that's about a stuntman. It's pretty much about Hal Needham. Like it's very. <laughs> Maybe that's what I need to watch next. Then Hooper's a fun movie. Hooper is. It's not. It's not. It, 
it's not going to set the world on fire. It has some of the best stunt work you'll ever see in a movie. Just unbelievable. It has a great character who is a piss take on Peter Bogdanovich because Burt Reynolds hated him. Peter Bogdanovich directed The Last Picture Show and some big 70s movies and then a bunch of garbage. Um, some garbage with Burt Reynolds. And um, it has Sally Fields in it again. It has Brian Keith, who was a cool actor from the 70s and 60s. It has John Michael Vincent, again, coming up. Terry Bradshaw is in it for like five minutes. It's a fun movie. I, I recommend that one. That's probably the last good movie Hal Needham made because he followed that up with the early early Schwarzenegger film, The Villain. I have not seen that. It's kind of... I've never seen it either. It's a it's a Western with okay. Kurt Douglas and Margaret and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Paul Lind. Okay. <laughs> so now I kind of want to see it, and I know that Paul Lind's in it. <laughs> I love Paul Lind. But it got terrible. He's hilarious, yeah. 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 Oh, God. Um, Best voice I, in all of Hollywood. I want to do a podcast in the voice of Paul Lind. No one <laughs> would listen to it, but I would just, I'd be happy. Um but he then he did uh, some small stuff, Smoking the Bandit 2, Cannonball Run, and then he made a movie called Megaforce, which I used to, I think I own. That's that has Barry Bostwick, and that's unwatchable. That's just it's like a live action GI Joe. It's but it's <laughs> just it's just oh, it's a bad one. And then Stroker Race and Cannonball Run two and Rad, and that Rad was his last theatrical film. But he went to TV and he made four more Bandit films. Oh my God. <laughs> there are four Smokey and the Bandit prequels that he made on TV for TV in 1994. They were oh my part God. of, they were part of uh, Universal's Action Pack program block, which also had Hercules. Hercules. And uh, what's that bad William Shatner thing? Tech War. So there were these syndicated movie packages. And there were some... There, oh, yeah. And the Midnight Run sequels. There were sequels to De Niro's Midnight Run. And okay. their TV movies also, part of this action pack. And I never, I watched the Hercules and Tech War ones as a kid. I never watched the Bandit ones. I can't imagine they're good. If you want to watch them, you can get them as part of a Smokey and the Bandit box set. So, oh boy, I might have just, that box set actually. I've just probably never opened it up that far to see if I, they're in it. I do like that each of them is called Bandit and then the title. So, like Bandit, Bandit Goes Country, and Bandit <laughs> Beauty and the Bandit. But one of them is just called Bandit Bandit. So, the full title is Bandit Bandit Bandit. Oh my God. That's like Buffalo, 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 Buffalo. <laughs> uh, it's. I'm sure they're bad. It, and, it, it, you know, who knows? Hal Needham kind of just quit after that. He did a couple more things. But, like, Hal Needham's career is really a flash. As a director, Hal Needham's career is very much a flash in the pan uh, with two and a half good movies. So, you know. But, but I mean, uh, hey, that's a lot more than most. He should be proud of himself, you know? No, well, he, this movie's iconic. Well, he's, uh, he, I, Hal Needham loved himself. Like if you read, I'm sure he did. I can tell. I don't know who he like much about him, but I could guess that much. If you read any interview with Hal Needham, Hal Needham thinks Hal Needham's great. Um, <laughs> and he he had a he had that ego for a reason. He he was a fantastic stuntman. He changed stuntman work. He changed stunt work. 
he helped create a lot of technology to keep stuntmen more safe so they could do crazier stunts. Now, is that movie... I don't... Sorry if this changes the subject too much. Is that stupid... I don't know if it's... I shouldn't call it stupid. Movie Death Proof from Quentin Tarantino. Was that inspired by Hal Needham at all? Do you know? I would have... Knowing Quentin Tarantino, I would have to imagine that character had to be at least slightly inspired by Hal Needham. Of course, Hal Needham was not a serial killer. So, there's that. As yeah. far as I know. Uh, but... You know, I'd have to imagine that that has something to do with it. And, of course, the character in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the stuntman in that, um, that is Hal Needham. Like, that's yeah. directly inspired by him. So I have to imagine that he knew who he was when he made that movie. But, yeah, I think I think Death Proof is a movie that you can see influence from Smoking the Bandit because the second half of Death Proof is a car chase, you know? Uh, can you think of any other movies that... You know, you maybe are like Smokey and the Bandit that you, you could recommend, maybe? Like good old-fashioned car chase movies or trucker movies? Uh, you know, you know, it's funny. Like, trucker movies and CB culture, you know, they they probably had about the same lifespan as disco and yeah. mainstream Shorter. popularity. Shorter. I yeah. can't think of, like, I'm trying to even think of, like, what's the modern kind of like good old boy movie what's yeah. the you know when's the last time they made something like that there aren't i think i think the problem with making a good old boy movie in 2021 is the politics around it and yeah that's not necessarily a bad thing either i think culture has changed and you can't make a movie about a bunch of white kids in the south without it having an overtone you know i think if you made a good old boy movie in 2021, it would have to address racism. It would just have to. There's no way around it. Yeah, I and, mean, like, Smokey and the Bandit's pretty apolitical, though. I mean, like, could they just show people from all walks of life coexisting in this I mean, good I old think, boy kind of thing? Like, I think you could do I think if they ignored it and had minority characters in it without addressing it, I think that'd be the bare minimum. But I think... People would want more, I guess. I don't know. I think I think the closest thing to these movies is really, I mean, it's a totally different level, but Fast and the, the Fast and the Furious films, maybe before five, <laughs> before they got balls out crazy, are the closest thing I could think of to like a smoky throwback. You know, I'm trying to think about- of like even at the time what would have been comparable besides like yeah like the other Cannonball Run and things like that. Well, there was also Breaker Breaker, the Chuck Norris uh, trucker movie. And <laughs> well, is it a, a comedy? No, that's an action film. Um, yeah, there are a few like I guess the ones that are comparable aren't so much trucker films, but the Hick movies, the exploitation movies. Yeah, um, every which way but loose, the Clint Eastwood <laughs> movie with the orangutan. Um, yeah. They're like he technically is a trucker, but you only see him driving a truck in the very beginning of the movie. But the rest <laughs> of the movie is about him being like a, a an underground street fighter, and then his relationship with Sandra Locke. I actually like those movies. The, there's two of those, them, yeah. Every which way but loose, and any which way you can. They're yeah. kind of just like they're country western movies. They're kind of yeah. good old boy. Um, they're kind of fun. Um, Ruth Gordon <laughs> is in both of them, I believe, or at least the first one, and she's hilarious. Okay, yeah, um, I meant to, yeah. So I, I, that's yeah. kind of worth watching if you if you're really like watching Smokey and the Bandit, and you go, I want to wear a 
plaid western cut shirt and you know cowboy boots and jeans what other movies can i watch the you i know, would say that's yeah. worth it if you if you like smoking the bandit like if, if you're coming to it fresh maybe inspired by this podcast and you're looking for excuse me if you're looking for other stuff i would definitely stick in the 70s and go for those good old boy movies i would look up gator and white lightning watch the macon county movies as two of those in a series watch have Moon you Runners, seen like I said. Um, have you seen Aloha, Bobby and Rose? No, I heard of that. What is how is that? Going? I so now don't quote me on it because I okay. don't. I have never seen it all the way through, but I imagine that's similar. I know it's kind of like the maybe it's like the rock and roll equivalent because I know the soundtrack is really badass. Mm-hmm. Has like you know Blue Oyster Cult and Emerson and Palmer and all I'm these. Sold. <laughs> uh, I actually you know maybe maybe you should watch it and let me know if it's worth it because I've always been told like I was a weird kid and had a lot of older (laughs) friends because I was obsessed with the seventies and one of my, when you were a kid. Yeah, no, that this, this obsession started when I was probably like nine years old. Um, (laughs) I just was a really weird kid. And like my friend was like, Oh yeah, you got to watch Aloha Bobby and Rose. So maybe try that. (laughs) Okay. I'm just imagining somebody saying that to a kid in 1995. I was like an adult at that time, but like, okay. yes, I was very much like as a kid, I had like these, like my aunts and stuff would give me, I had a, like a lava lamp from the seventies and like these okay. really colorful Pepsi bed sheets and things. I was like, just like anything from the seventies music, uh, uh, yeah. movies. I just want, I, I was a weirdly just wanted it in my life. That's funny. Cause when I was like, in the, in the 90s, like in the night, you know, because nostalgia goes on a 20 year cycle, right? So yeah. in the 90s, 70s nostalgia was pretty big, especially when I was like, you know, finishing up high school, starting college in the late 90s. And the Beastie Boys like leaned hard into it, you know, with sa- the Sabotage video in their fashion. And Beck did it. And that was always the stuff I hated the most about them. Like I loved the Beastie oh, really? Boys and I loved Sabotage, but I hated 70s style and like, the polyester suits and the big lapels and all that. I had some leisure suits. Definitely. I I went to my junior and senior prom in a leisure suit. And I think I was just too much of a cynical grunge bastard to really appreciate 70s nostalgia and smoking the bandit. But I'm glad that now as a sad old man in my forties, I can look back at smoking the bandit and laugh. So yes, but (laughs) (laughs) uh, I think we'll finish up now. Is that okay? Yeah, no, I know. I feel like this is one of those movies we could go on for a long oh, yeah. time. We didn't even like really touch on beats of the movie, but like no, I, I would I just I say watch it yourself and yeah. laugh your ass off because that's exactly what I did. I, laugh your ass off at Jackie Gleason because he was a god. Yeah. Um, and never watch The Toy starring Jackie Gleason. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Richard Pryor, Jackie Gleason buys him as that. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a film. But anyway, yeah, we're going to wrap up now. Uh, Elliot, thanks again um, for doing this with me. I hope we can do more movie ones som- sometime. Uh, yeah, no. Nah. Thanks for having me on. No problem. And where can people find you on the internet? I am uh, the Miggy Sphinx on Twitter. Uh, that's M-I-G-H-Y Sphinx on Twitter. Cool. And then you can find, like, I have a SoundCloud. I'm... Fat Man Do on SoundCloud, the one from US, not Bristol. Okay. Um, so <laughs> that's a that great. We, 
I know it was a nickname I used to have for my dad because we worked together in the same office. Um, cool. That's my SoundCloud cool. Uh, cool. where you can find my like. Actually, I, I put up the theme for this podcast on there. It's kind of oh. just my portfolio of stuff. I've got some easy listening tracks on there, and I'm I'm working on more stuff all, all the time. Cool. That, uh, we'll go there. Cool. I'll check it out. Thanks again to Elliot for stopping in to talk about a great movie. Uh, once again, you can find me on Twitter at Lost Turntable and on my website, which is LostTurntable.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back again next week with another new episode of Cinema Oblivia. Watch old bandit run Old Smoke has got them ears on He's hot on your trail And he ain't gonna rest till you're in jail So you got to dodge him, you got to duck him You gotta keep that diesel truckin' Just put that hammer down and give it hell He's bound to die, loaded up and truckin' Are we gonna do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go Short time to get there I'm eastbound up Watch old bandit run